my name's Mark Geary, and I'm your host of You Think That's Funny. I am the arbiter of all that is hilarious and funny. You may read You Think That's Funny as a question or an accusation, depending on the aggressiveness of your nature. For this week's show, we have plenty of links for you to check out before listening or after listening. You can find those links at youthinkthatsfunnypodcast.com. This is a very linky episode as I introduce my guest for the day, Colt Cabana, who is a wrestler, performer, and t-shirt empresario. As full disclosure, we, uh, we have worked on live events together. Uh, Colt is a great supporter of the Lincoln Lodge, and the links we're about to discuss, I'm about 70% on board with their funniness. Hello, Colt. Uh, a seventy a seventy percent hello to you. Hi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I won't give you my full one hundred percent right now. Okay. Well, so this this will be a uh, what twenty three minute episode. Um, we'll we'll give you seventy percent this week. Hey, um, congratulations on the maths with an yeah. S. Yes, with an S. So that actually, you know what? This brings me straight out of the gate. I'm glad you made that. I'm glad you picked up that observation. Um, oh, I need to start my timer because we have to get exactly at 23 minutes. Um, <laughs> the, your, uh, your response to what you find funny was very, very comedy-oriented in terms of, like, um, stand-up comedy and, and, and TV and everything like that. Um, so obviously you're a person who has been through the years, like very focused on what's going on with the, uh, the, the comedy world, right? Oh, what was I supposed to put? Like a Martin Luther King speech? What? <laughs> well, when you tell, uh, when you tell me comedy, I'm picking comedy. <laughs> Well, most people lead off with farts, and you're the first one not to. So that that's what struck me. But yeah, um, that's uh, that's that's great actually because it'll be uh, we got plenty to talk about this week. So I'm gonna start with the first one. Uh, you sent me um, a clip of <laughs> 1970s British wrestling is how I would classify it. So it's, for those who don't know, people used to wrestle in swimming trunks in the 70s in England before before that jazzy American wrestling came in and it started hitting each other with chairs and fireworks going off british wrestling in the 70s was literally a a church hall full of old ladies jeering and cheering to two blokes in swimming trunks is how i would describe it but colt set the scene tell us why it's one of your favorite funny things well you know wrestling is the is the performance that I do. And I believe just like comedy, there's all aspects and ratios. So a lot of people think of wrestling as just two guys beating each other up. And that is how it, I guess the overall arc of pro wrestling is, but this clip is, is my comedy hero. His name is Les Kellett. I think he, I believe he's one of the greatest comedians of all time. And he's <laughs> wrestling a wrestler named Leon Aris. And essentially what Les Kellett, Les Kellett does bits, but he does them in the ring through, wrestling moves and sequences and it's kind of somebody i patterned a lot of my own wrestling after and it is 1970s 
And um, you just have to understand that people believe that the wrestling, you know, I don't know if they believe that it's real, but they're watching it based on the idea that they're suspending their belief that it's real. So every time Les Kellett does something, you know, he's using 100% pure physical humor in the idea that he's trying to win a match. And it, it just always works so well. He's just, he's just brilliant. And so how did you first like come across this clip? I mean, how old would you have been? And you know, well, like it's just a weird thing for an American to find a 1970s British <laughs> wrestling clip to me. And especially to focus on it as like, man, this is funny. And performance too. Yeah. I, you know, I've been a wrestler for now 22 years. I started when I was 18 years old and I've been obsessed with wrestling since I was a child, probably three or four years old. Yeah. And so uh, when I was 23 years old, I quit my full-time job and I went over to England to start wrestling on a full-time schedule, uh, in, including traveling the Butlins holiday camps. Oh uh, man. Yeah. Six days a week to wrestle in front of the Butlins uh, holiday uh, resorters, if you will. And I wanted to learn about the back, the background and the history of British wrestling as I was wrestling there with a lot of people who had wrestled on television in the 70s and 80s. They were part of the team. And so the more I dug deep into it, people would tell me different wrestlers to watch. And I, I've always been known as kind of someone who loves to have a laugh and who loves comedy and who uh, puts comedy in their wrestling. So people were like... You have to you have to watch a guy named Cat Weasel. You have to watch a guy named Masambula, and you have to watch the King Les Kellett. He is the greatest. I was gonna say, Cat, when you said British wrestling, the first one came out of my head was Cat Weasel because I always watched. I think it was similar in America, right? The wrestling came on right after the kids' programs, just before World of Sport. That's like how it was in England. So every kid of my age, every person of my age, watched the wrestling that came on straight after Tiz was, it was called. And Cat Weasel was just, it looked like... Uh, the most unlikely wrestling character ever, right? He looked like a guy who'd been living in a ditch is is how I would categorize it. Um, and then, of course, there was the two, you know, it was Giant Haystack's Big Daddy, right? Every British kid is like, oh, I hope it's Big Daddy week, you know, on the wrestling. Um, so that's interesting. You said Butlins as well. <laughs> the only time I ever saw live wrestling was at a holiday camp. It was, I think it was Ladbrokes. And I was so um, upset because they put it in the, in the, in the sort of uh, nightclub room and the ceiling was barely six inches higher than the heads of the guys who were wrestling. So you thought every time they pick each other up, one of them's going to like disappear through the ceiling. Did you have I mean, that experience? Yeah. Well, not at Butlins, but I've had that my whole career, uh, just like comedy. You know, there's always like horrible rooms that you play, you know, yeah. physical rooms, you know, if it doesn't meet the aesthetics that you want. Same with wrestling. And low ceilings has always been a problem. It's funny that in comedy, stand-ups want low ceilings. It's the complete opposite with wrestling. You know, yeah. we, we want a high ceiling so we can jump off of it and do the moves. Huh. Interesting. And um, so, oh man, I never knew the thing. I, I knew you had a good knowledge of British wrestling. I never knew you'd actually been there and sort of done the tour and everything. That's, that's fascinating to me. And, and like I say, that was your first one out of the gate was a wrestling clip for the 
for the comedy of the piece. Well, now you, I mean, you were like, hey, send me some clips. So I literally just was like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, these aren't like the, th- these aren't my top 10. These are just, I was like, oh, I'll send them this. I'll yeah, send them this. Yeah. I'll send them oh, this. Oh, cool. Well, it doesn't have to be top 10. It's, it's, in, it's indicative. That's the point, right? So <clears throat> we'll, we'll close the book on wrestling. Maybe we'll come back to this because you kind of got me out of left field with that one. And I got a million questions, but I want to do the other stuff. Uh, first so in the things that you sent me there was a lot of international comedy you had brits you had aussies and you had obviously american uh, you had concords who were new zealand of course um so what's the link how did you connect so uh easily to into the international uh comedy oh. scene well, for me personally, for the past, I think it was seven years in a row, I performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival doing a show where I would watch bad wrestling with uh, with my friends. And so I went specifically as a comedy fan and then also got to write it off as work and even made money when most of those people at those festivals lose money. Yeah. But thanks to my notoriety as a pro wrestler, I was able to make money. So um, at the Fringe for seven years, I would watch you know sometimes 100 shows uh, each fringe and I got to know all the all the comedians and the cool thing about being a wrestler is that the comedians want to know the wrestler so it was a really easy access to become friends with everybody I had a lot of ins people let me come see their shows and um and and you would just find you know it's the same I guess as like the Montreal uh just for laughs or you know yeah. whatever the SF sketch fetch uh the the top Aussies and and Brits from the world are coming over to the fringe and you just get to go see them. It's pretty great. So that's how I kind of saw a lot of my favorites. So what were your favorites like? Um... Yeah, I, yeah, I put them in some of this list. Seymour Mace is yeah. one of my number one favorites out of Newcastle. <laughs> and and he, he would do a, you know, he would perform in front of 25 people a day. So it's not like he was selling out yeah. performances. But for some reason, Seymour Mace, I just connected with his sense of humor. Yeah. And it's kind of dry uh, and a lot of like self-deprecating um, but just and, and almost fantasy. He has like a fantasy world world that he kind of really enjoy. Um, yeah. And then I put some of the other ones, uh, Sam Simmons, Sam Campbell, Tom Walker, and they're all, I would say are these guys absurdist. They're all, did you personally meet them and that's what how you sort of connected, or they were just random, you saw them and were like, these are great. Um great Sam Simmons was <clears throat> friends with my flatmate, and he was somebody I had known because he had come over to the States. He had gotten on Conan and stuff. Um and then I saw you know, through my flatmate, I saw his show and then we became friends. He actually did my show. Uh Tom Walker was a huge wrestling fan, and someone was like Oh, he! This guy loves you. You should go see his show. And I had no clue who he was. Mm. And then uh, I watched the show and I loved it. And he now has an Amazon Prime special, which I recommend. You could go watch that. Uh, Sam Campbell's show was on directly before us. Uh, I'm sorry, Sam Campbell's show was on directly after us. And he all of a sudden had these huge lines forming after us because his show became such a huge hit. And um, and so we became friends. Usually, if your show is before or after someone, you make friends with the person in your in your slot because the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, there's fifty, uh, there's 5,000 shows happening per day. So it's like there's a show at 10, 11, 12, you know, one, two, three. And it's such a quick turnaround that, you know, you're always chatting with the person before you as you're rushing your gear out or in. So 
Um, so I was able to stay after my show and watch him and, and brilliant. He's just brilliant. Absurdist for all of these, I feel. Yeah. I, I, um, I've always wanted to take a show to, uh, to Edinburgh. We just never had the money. I mean, you know, the, the, it's like through the roof now to just be able to take a show to Edinburgh. I have taken a show to my home, um, festival, which is Leicester. I don't know if you've ever been to Leicester in England. So I took, I took some Lincoln Lodge comedians and we did like a mini tour, but never made it to Edinburgh because everyone said, oh, you just need crazy money to get it, to get a foot in the door there. Um, and I've, I've never even actually been to the festival, which is a, a shame because I would like it's to. It's the best. And of course I've wrestled yeah. in Leicester. I've <laughs> wrestled everywhere, literally oh, everywhere. Okay. Was it De Montfort Hall? Where it was, I could not tell you, but I know I've been there. <laughs> okay. All righty. So international comedy. So that's your link there because you're extremely conversant. Um, the, the one thing, and again, you've got to go to the links, people, because this is a very linky episode. Um, musical comedy. There were three of them. There was a, a comedy bang, bang. Um, little skit. There was the Bennigan's rap. I can't remember who the, who the comedians was... were. And then there was, I didn't mention Flight of the Concords. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the 30% that's missing <laughs> for me. Like I just, musical comedy is like whoosh straight over. There's some things I can laugh at, like when Monty Python did music, they generally did a really good job of it. But, but is, is musical comedy, were you like a Dr. Demento kid and it's always stuck with you? Uh, I was a do Dr. That. Demento kid and a Weird Al kid, but I, <clears throat> you know, what sticks out for me for comedy is just like different. I've, I've just loved different. And it's what I love about my wrestling also. So, um, it's almost like you're at, and obviously maybe that is the shtick or the gimmick is that you're an at, you're at the advantage if you have an instrument with you, or if you have, you know, a pen and paper with you or a slideshow mm -hmm. for some reason, like it's just the ADHD kid in me, mm -hmm. it just grabs my attention. And then from there you have to, you have to perform, but these, yeah. I, I don't, these are just three things that I guess just stuck out for me. And I, I didn't even think about it as I was thinking musical, but yeah, I guess they are using music to use humor, but I, I do love when anyone uses a different avenue than just standing at a microphone and telling stories to be uh, to be hu a, a humorist. And that's not saying, obviously, I love stand-up. I love it so much, but um, I see, I just see the way I, the way I use wrestling to get, to be the comedian that I am, I love when other people use other things to be the comedians that they are. Yeah. Well, maybe we are connected 100%. Because <laughs> that, that is my philosophy. There is nothing... Well, I can't say this promoting comedy. To me, a, a, a night of someone standing against a wall talking is so, so boring. It's like, come on, guys, we're here for 80 minutes. You can throw something else in here to, to, to mix it up right. But with the musical comedy especially amongst the musical community, again, amongst the stand-up comedy community, there's a huge sort of snobbery of like, oh, guy with a guitar, gal with a guitar. But then there's there are acts. We've had at the Lincoln Lodge, for instance, we had uh, 
um, Lord of the Yum Yum. I don't know if you ever saw him. He's like doing beatbox stuff with a loop pedal yeah. and like stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, this is this is awesome. Right. I um, I remember going uh, like after I'd wrestle in New York City at the Hammerstein Ballroom. I'd go over to the UCB and like I remember see Reggie Watts. You know, before he kind of became Reggie Watts, oh, yeah. and it's just like. It, it takes it, it just takes it out of something. It, it takes you out of the norm that you're just doing, like you said, and it's just different. And so those people need to get over themselves. And uh, I also think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of musical comedians have said that, like, they use the guitar as a crutch, as a way to get over fears to become the, the stand up that they are. And I always think mm -hmm. that's brilliant. Like, if if you can go on stage and just strum a guitar and tell your jokes and like, that's what you need to get on stage to eventually become the, the writer that you are. I think that's great. And, um, and I think you found a loophole and you found, you've, you found a way in. Um, and so if that's the way you're using it to get somewhere else, uh, more power to you. Yeah. There's an interesting story. Uh, Billy Connolly is reasonably famous in America. Right. And there's, there was a guy, Jasper Carrot, and they were storytelling comedians and they came out of the folk scene and they were people who used to sing folk songs and the, them talking in between their songs got longer and longer and longer until they suddenly realized like, I'm a comedian, not a folk singer. So I, I think that's a, the sort of like connection there, right? Is is you can bridge from one to the other. All right, let's just go on with the uh, the. This is like a comedy. Um, I don't want to say like a comedy masterclass almost. We're going through all of them. So the next thread that I picked up was uh, you are a fan of, and you've already alluded to this multimedia slash surreal comedy. It seems like. That's what we just sort of discussed. But how, where does this, what's the surreal thread? Where did that, like, what first opened your eyes to comedy as surrealism? Uh, what do you mean surrealism? Sorry. Like, just, just, just the, uh, like, I can do something completely off the wall with this. So in one of your links, uh, it was an Aussie guy. Ah, I can't remember his name. He was doing a thing where he was, he wrote a poem to a, to a coat or something. Oh, and yeah. That is just like this is this is this is something like not stand up. This is something else. Yeah, Tom Walker, who's uh, yep. who's uh, essentially he did. Yeah, that, that's his, the Amazon Prime show. He's a mime actually. Um, yep. Studied at this f French whatever it is. I think the guy lives in L.A. now. His name is um, Marcel or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hmm. Uh, famous no. or Doctor Brown? Doctor Brown. Fa no, I've seen. Uh, have you seen a guy called Tapeface? Yes, yeah, he he did the Fringe, yeah. of course. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so Tom Walker is a mime, but talks all the time in his show, and he's doing mime tricks and he's doing uh, clown tricks essentially. And yeah. so again, it's it's the same thing. And I'll I'll bring up one of the other clips that I have, which is the Dimitri Martin uh, clip. Yeah. And essentially, I just put Dimitri Martin in general because I think he's so funny. And D Dimitri Martin watching him on those old comedy central presents, I believe, or the half hour or whatever he had was yeah. one, was one of the biggest mind openings to me for my career, where again, he had the guitar, he had the notepad, he had all these different things. And it allowed me to understand that as a wrestler, I don't have to just do arm bars and chin locks and hip tosses. I can explore the space. And so 
Uh, I love that Dimitri Martin explored his space and was so funny at it. Tom Walker, who, right, is um, the whole show is basically him in love with a coat on a rack. Uh, uh, he's there, he's exploring the space and he's using every little thing. And I always, when I teach this to my wrestling students, I'll always say, like, you have to break the rules. The most successful people will break the rules uh, to be successful. I go, but that you have to know the rules and appreciate and respect the rules first. So you really have to understand what you're doing in order to understand, in order to know that, in order to understand that you're breaking the rules and doing what you shouldn't be doing. And I think a lot of these people are doing that and I love it so much. Oh, awesome. Yeah. You mentioned Dimitri Martin. I mean, he, he was an Edinburgh guy. Well, he's American, but he, he won the Perrier award at Edinburgh one year and no one in, I was in America at that time. I'd never heard of him. And then obviously the whole flip charts thing and everything came in. But I, I thought he was going to be a megastar with it. And he just seemed to tail off. They gave him a couple of movies that didn't really fit him. And and he's never been like burned into the, the retina of comedy fans, I feel, at this point. Yeah, but he is in my heart, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just felt like by now he would be dominating, you know, in a, like a Galifianakis sort of level. Yeah, but you know? he Galifianakis wouldn't have done it had The Hangover not come out, and he would have still been the comedian's comedian, you know. Uh, yeah. He was, still would have been the, yeah. the one that the, the performers love. And, I, you know, I, I, I think the ones that are like-minded like me, you know, they love Dimitri Martin. Yeah. Like a, a Brody Stevens type. Exactly. Where it's like the, the entire comedy industry is in love with them and everyone's like, oh, was he in something? No, he wasn't. He's just a comedian. No, he was <laughs> He was in The Hangover, cut out of funny people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about the last comedy uh, genre here before we get into the more taxing questions. Uh, so you had, I'm not sure why you picked out Eric Andre, whether it was the surrealism, but the clip that I was sh looking at uh, are what I call ambush interviews. So I guess, you know, um, popularized by uh, Ali G and uh, Chris Morris and people like that, where you take a real person and put him into a absolutely ridiculous interview and see what happens. Is that, was that the point of, of Eric Andre? You, feel? I, you know, I just loved the show. It's just, uh, yeah, yeah, of course that was part of it. You know, I, um, again, he, he was making fun of the idea of a talk show. Uh, I, you know, talk shows are just so become such a part of American, whatever it is that we all just accept it, what it is. And I just love the idea that he was making fun of it, all of it. So, you know, it wasn't one specific thing, but of course, um, of course. And and I do. there's a part of me that feels a little bad for the people that aren't in on the joke, uh, which isn't my yeah. favorite comedy, is at, at the expense of others. Hmm. Um, but he does it so well, and it is funny. <laughs> there, you know, there's... 10% of me who's like, oh, that poor person, but there's 90% of me who loves it. Well, that actually brings me, the reason I'm asking that, it brings me to the uh, the science part. We have a science part of our show, and I do a bit of research to find out 
the science behind this stuff. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna regale you and the audience with this, which I found this week, right? <clears throat> so um, oh, I forgot what link it came from. Um, blah, 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 blah. So I found out practical jokes, which is what I basically are calling an ambush interview, um, are used more commonly in an effort to bring a person into a group. So they're inclusion, not exclusion, according to anthropologists. An integral part of rituals around the world intended to temper success with humility. Recent research suggests that the experience of being duped can stir self-reflection in a way few other experiences can keeping a check on arrogance or obliviousness i think oh this is from the new york times the, the link will be there so apparently it's to keep you grounded that's why we need to prank the hell out of each other according to the scientists um and then abby hoffman got quoted uh that guy talking of Ali G, now being played by Ali G um, in that Netflix thing. Um, he categorized three sorts of pranks. So the, the bad ones are vindictive, the neutral are purely physical in nature, and the good pranks actually satirize human fears of failing. And it's found throughout the world especially in initiation rites and coming-of-age rituals. So this was the bit that made me laugh. The Darabi of New Guinea, for example, have children. They make their children make a small box and bury it in the ground. They tell them that after a while a treasure will appear, but they must not peek before a certain time. This is what a professor of anthropology at Virginia found. Invariably, the youngsters can't hold themselves, peak, and the village elders put a sample of human feces for them to find. <laughs> so, huh, would you go as far as burying some poo in a box just to teach a kid a lesson is my uh, question to you, Colt. Uh, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> for, for the laugh. Just for the laugh, but 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 also to, so that this this person grows to be a better person, right? Yeah, and I you know I like <laughs> the the idea that's not uh, vindictive, and and so uh, I think that's why the whole world has uh, latched onto impractical jokers, and why I think it's such a, a wonderful show too, is that they're not pranking somebody unsuspecting. Essentially, they're they're trying to get the left at. at the expense of their friends and everyone's well aware that it's going to happen to them or that that, that mm. could be the result. And that's something I really enjoy. Um, and I think the world does too, is that's why they're so successful. Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, we're going towards the steamrolling towards the wrap up here. Um, so I think you've talked about this at pretty much already, but um, if there's anything else to add, uh, how do you use what you find funny in your life and in your um, career, I think you've you've already covered part of that. But is there anything else to add in terms of, you know, sure outside of wrestling? Yeah, well, inside of wrestling is like I want to be the band that I want to see. I want to be the comedian that I want to see. I want to be the wrestler that I would want to see. So, uh, I, I the way I wrestle is the way that 
if I was a fan, is something I would want to see. So that's very important in using comedy. And then also, I I think finding like-minded people, w- whether it's friends, whether it's lovers, whether it's acquaintances, whatever it might be, it's kind of a great way to kind of um, separate the herd uh, in my in my life. And I feel that's something that that I've used comedy to do that. Um, and mm. it more, you know, most importantly is you know, like-minded people that I surround myself with are the ones that we have the same idea of what we think is funny. Oh, cool. Um, so I sent you some links. So here's, here's a chance for you to get revenge on my, yeah. I, I try to read the room. Um, and again, people, you've got to go to you think that's funny podcast.com to check these links out. Uh, so the first one Hold was on. kind of Hold a on. famous. Let's read your own room because as we go through all of these, we can obviously read the room that you grew up in the 70s in Great Britain, for fuck's sake. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm very uh, cosmopolitan. I, he I've, literally I've sent me watched... all British comedy <laughs> from the 70s and 80s. Well, I, honestly, and I'm not saying this to kiss ass, I, Like, I feel like you are so well-versed in the world of comedy. I was literally pulling clips and going, no, I've seen this. No, I've seen this. No, I've seen this. <laughs> so I had to really go deep and be like, okay, what, how am I going to find something that Colt actually hasn't bloody seen? Um, I, I felt like it was a challenge. So the one that I, I felt you might actually, you're either going to love it or hate it, was a famous uh, one... Uh, a British comedian called David Copperfield, but not that David Copperfield, who ha- who had built an act, a nightclub act, basically around where he wrestles himself. So he's like, the left half is one wrestler <laughs> and the right half. Was that actually, to you as a wrestler, was that even remotely funny or was it just, ah? Uh... Yeah, no, I, I did find it funny. And I, I was laughing at the first couple of how he was setting it up. You know, I, as a wrestler and a comedian too, I was like, I, I do look at the science of it too, which is really like, like uh, the science of the setup, the science of like, or even the, maybe it's the business of it as a business person, as a t-shirt entrepreneurial or whatever you said. <laughs> so a lot of me is like, well, how is he going, how is he going to pay this off? Where are these jokes going to come from? What is the ending going to be? You know, what's the finish going to be is what we would say in wrestling. So, um, the concept is very funny in itself. I found it very funny. This idea of it, especially as a wrestler, like the little things to me was like, well, this is on TV. How come there's not a wrestling ring? Um, that's something. Oh, that that was the format of that sketch show. They always did it in like a white. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, it was just, um, it, it was like how they did the show more than anything. Because oh, a lot of me, it was like, you're telling me you couldn't put up some ropes? Like this <laughs> to, to me, this was so lacking on production that it was just a white room, but that makes sense now. And yeah. then the the finish of it was almost like a Saturday Night Live, like, well, we don't know the ending, so let's just make up whatever. I, I don't know if yeah. you felt the same way. I think they just, like, he just, like, disappeared, and they were like, well, that's it. <laughs> That was, like I said, that was a show format. It was actually, that was the show Tracy Ullman. It was a a show called um, Three, something three. I can't remember. Tracy Ullman, who obviously was a megastar. Lenny Henry, who at that time was probably the biggest comedian in England 
or would go on to be the biggest comedian, and then the David Copperfield guy. And it was just there, the format was just really fast. It was like boom, boom. They were just banging through stuff. So that's kind of why it ends weird and is set in a bizarre white room. Um, okay. So I got one there. I got one. And then um, I sent you Trigger Happy TV, and I, I was right on the verge. I was like, he's bound to have seen Trigger Happy bound to have um so we won't even talk trigger happy and, everyone loves trigger yeah, happy. and i told you before and I, I i knew what that was and i've seen it before and i've watched it yeah and enjoyed it yeah. obviously and then i did try and send you a curveball one based on your sort of love of the surreal uh reeves and mortimer were huge in england and they used to have these two brothers called the stop brothers who just would walk and just say well the whole show was ridiculous but uh the stops were particularly ridiculous and because reeves and morton were so loved all of these people queued up to be interviewed by them in this absolutely ridiculous way and i was i was this was the one i was really interested in i was like love or hate uh, this one. well as a jew i wasn't loving their little hitler characters i'll say that much Hitler. Yeah, they were doing like little Hitler mustaches. No, you didn't pick that one up. No, I. I mean that they just always had like bizarre bald wigs and all this oh. stuff on. And they were definitely making no. Hitler references, or maybe I was incorrect on that. Ah, I'll go back check, and rewatch it. Check that I one. Never out. Thought of, <laughs> I never thought of Hitler as part of the Stop Brothers in any. Yeah, they had little before. Hitler mustaches, and then they were like doing like the two finger Hitler stash thing, which was very odd. Huh. Um. Huh. I, I don't take offense that you were like, don't sweat that. Um, <laughs> um, but I did find it weird. And then, okay. uh, and they were cute together. Yeah, they were cute. Like, I, I guess I don't know the backstory of what's going on. So, um, yeah, I'm just watching. I, it's interesting to me that you said people were lining up to get interviewed. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Sting was on yeah. there. Um, Peter Gabriel, a uh, few models, you know, big names. Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> oh man i haven't been in america long enough all right well so let's do this then um we're gonna wrap up with a quick note of negativity um (laughs) what is the one thing that you you obviously find a lot of things funny what is the one thing that you just look and go why are people finding this funny so wrestling like 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 any of the arts is subjective and i know people don't like my wrestling and i'm okay with that so that's the same with comedies i know people love different comedies and i don't judge them for loving this specific act i just don't get it or it's not for me i always say it's not for me so uh tim and eric is just (laughs) just not for me Um, you just broke the heart of every uh, 30 approximately year old um, white college boy yep, in America. Yep. <laughs> I, it's just not, I understand people love it and I understand why people love it. I just do not. And I, somebody recommended that I watch Tim Heidecker's stand up where it's like anti stand up. And I thought it was very okay. funny for like the first three minutes, but then I was like, Oh my God, this goes on for an hour. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I tapped out at about fifteen or twenty minutes just because I was like, "Oh, I, I don't think I, this isn't funny to me. I'm just watching something that I see he's set up, and that he's enjoying, you know, screwing with people. But I just don't enjoy it." I floated in and out with Tim and Eric. Sometimes it would really get me. The thing that finished me with Tim and Eric was all of the the. the 
because I was a producer of comedy at that time, I was seeing all these knockoffs floating through and I just was like, God, Tim and Eric, you got a lot to answer for, <laughs> like in this crap that I'm seeing now. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's like a personal thing, but it, it is like it became a thing of like, God, if I see one more Tim and Eric wannabe again, I'm going to scream. Uh, it's, uh, actually, it's so the highest compliment, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I actually saw a Tim Heidecker open for Neil Hamburger. Now, say. I've seen Neil Hamburger, uh, and I love Neil Hamburger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also anti-comedy, but it's just done differently, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All righty. Well, um, I think we'll, we'll I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much, Cole. You're welcome. And I uh, I hope you re enjoyed recording what is probably your 27th podcast of the week. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm known on the um, podcast circuit. <laughs> you are. You are known on the podcast circuit indeed um do you have anything uh well let's let's look at it this way i probably have about eight people listening to my podcast and you have a quarter of a million so i'm guessing the promotional trade-off for you at the end of this one is not that enticing but is is there anything you want to talk about to my eight listeners oh well i'm on you know twitter and instagram and uh and twitch colt cabana and i just want to say yeah. that uh, myself and, and Sarah Shockey started a show maybe the week before the pandemic where she teaches me how to do improv. Uh, and we did it at the Lincoln Lodge and, uh, it was going to be either a, a monthly, I, I hope to make it a weekly show, but, uh, sadly it's all, it's all gone to not. So I'm just excited <laughs> to get back to live performance so we can bring the show back to Chicago and we'll workshop it around. Excellent. We can't wait to see you when when these uh, trying times are over. All righty. Uh, that has been You Think That's Funny podcast for the week. And I've forgotten my outro yet again. So let's just cue the jangly guitars uh, of my outro music. And one of these weeks, I'm going to record a generic outro that we can bolt onto the end of it. Thank you very much again, Colt. I believe in you. <laughs> Thanks again. Bye.